Hi, this is Michael, and you're listening to Soma's podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing and subscribing. It's our vision as a church to help as many people come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This podcast is a vehicle to further that vision. If the content has encouraged you in any way, we'd love to invite you to join us in helping us reach more people with the message of Jesus through this podcast and all that we do as a church. You can help by giving on our website at soma.church. If you're ever in the area on a Sunday, we'd love to host you. For more information about location and service times, you can visit us at soma.church. Church. Enjoy the message. And then we're in this series uh, over the course of summer called Soma Summer, and it just gives us the freedom and flexibility to kind of hit topically what we want to. We decided at the beginning of the summer to hit wisdom literature. And uh, so Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, New Testament, looks like the book of James, even some Psalms uh, have some wisdom scripture in there. And so today we want to lead off with a proverb. And this is Proverbs chapter four, uh, verses seven through nine. It says this, the beginning of wisdom is this, get some, get you some wisdom. Okay. Though it costs you everything you have, get understanding, cherish her, that is cherish wisdom, and she will exalt you. Embrace her and she will honor you. She will give you a garland to grace your head and present you with a glorious crown. That sounds like something I'm into. Okay, I I want in on that. The idea is that you and I, if we're going to live the life that God's called us to, we've got to grow in this area of wisdom because there is godly wisdom attached to his word, his promises for your life that when we download it, we become, we, we have the mind of Christ. Now all of a sudden we can live in a way that we couldn't live before. I need some wisdom. You need some wisdom. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look like you need some wisdom. Okay. Just turn to him and tell him you for show look like you need some wisdom. James, James, uh, gives us commentary on wisdom in his letter to the church and love the book of James. He says this in James chapter 3, 13 through 18. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? If you are wise, let it be shown by your good life, by the deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Deeds that are done in humility come from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom, he does air quotes. James does air quotes, which I love. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, ooh, shots fired, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice, all of them. But the wisdom that comes from heaven, godly wisdom, is first of all pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. There's a list. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So let's break it down, okay? We're going James 3, 13. He starts off and asks this question, who is wise and understanding among you? Who's wise? The Hebrew word for wisdom is skill in living. It means to be skilled in living. It is when you look at somebody's life and you're like, oh, they're doing it better than me. Like, they're the, like the marriage thing is they're doing that. They're navigating that a little bit better than I'm navigating it. They're, they're, the finance thing, they're a better steward. Maybe the influence thing or the, the work thing or just how they carry themselves. They got more joy. Feel like they got there's certain parts of their life just stands out. There's a skill in living. And that's what this Hebrew word wisdom means. And so. Really, it's, um, it's God's desire. He gives us this gift of wisdom so that you and I can live a better life. How many of you, you would like to live a better life? 
that is the most participation I've had of any service. Literally like three people raised their hand last service. I was like, whoa. Okay, so, so, but, so we want to live a better life. We want to have a better marriage. You want to be able to like steward better the resources that God has given you. It would be great if we weren't broke. Like, you know, like there's certain things like I would love to, to be better in practice of all these areas. And, and what's, what's true, and we see it in James 3, is that God will actually give you over to wisdom you apply it to your life, and you begin to see fruit. James 3.13, it says this, let them show it, let the wise show that they're wise by their good life. Your life is going to look good. By deeds done in, in the humility that comes from wisdom. So there's a humility attached to wisdom, and there's, there's fruit. You begin to do good deeds uh, when you're wise. And so um, I love this because wisdom is transferable, so uh, you can read a book. Some of y'all are really into books. You love a book. Like, like, you know, for the four of us who still go to Barnes & Noble, I love Barnes & Noble. Shout out to Barnes & Noble. But if you go to Amazon, you're like, oh, you got to read this book. This book, changed. Atomic Havocs, changed my life. You got to read this book. Uh, so you can apply wisdom, something you read, something someone taught you. You got a degree. Uh, you watched a YouTube video. Some of us are overly confident because we watched a YouTube video. But you, you, download, you download, you're like, I'm good. Like I, so uh, you, can, you can have wisdom that way, transferable wisdom. Or, and, and this is what we see in Scripture, there's just some wisdom that you can't read in a book. There's some wisdom that you can't, like, it's not transferable. There's not, like, some successful heritage of business leaders or whatever in your family. Like, there's some wisdom that's just straight up from God. So you, you have a prayer life. Holy Spirit speaks to you. God gives you application for what he's already said in his word. But it's just a wisdom attached to following Jesus that is just different. Following Jesus isn't about, isn't about doing religious things or behavior modification. So again, you can transfer certain, like even if you're not a follower of Jesus or you don't believe in God, you could take Proverbs, apply it to your life and be like, dang, that actually works. But, there, but following Jesus and being in a relationship with him isn't about behavior modification. Christianity is about having God transform your life where God begins to change your desires in your heart. And the Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, old things pass away and behold, you're made brand new. That's what baptism is all about. That's what it means to follow Jesus. I'm dead to an old self being raised to a new life in Christ. It's not me becoming a better me. It's me dying to myself and then being raised in Christ. Now, all of a sudden, I'm taking on the mind of Jesus, and I want what he wants for me. And salvation's momentary. Sanctification takes a lifetime. So deep breath. Because you could come to faith in Christ, be really excited about a relationship with Jesus, and be frustrated with your predispositions to struggle and sin, brokenness in your life. We all have it. Guess what? It's putting off the old self, putting on Christ, and it takes time. It's what sanctification looks like. But God's desire is to grow you in the area of wisdom, his wisdom, and give you over to his mind. And, and, and God doesn't make me better than everyone else in my life. God makes me better than me. So it's not what we all fall into is the comparison trap. We're too busy worried about what somebody else is doing or not doing or where they're at. Or you know, instead of I'm, I'm, you're not my mark, Christ is my mark. And it's not about me becoming better than you. It's about me becoming better than who I was yesterday. And it's about me looking more like Jesus as he grows me in that. James 3, 14 through 15, James goes on. He says, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it's earthly, unspiritual, 
and demonic. And James says, hey, if you have unselfish ambition, you might look real smart on paper. To the broader culture, you may be crushing it. The world may look at your resumes and your accolades and all the things that you have to offer and go, wow, that's really impressive. But he says, hey, if your whole goal is selfish ambition, you've missed the mark. If it's not about God and about others, you've done it in self-service. It's not, it's not wisdom. It's not wisdom for you, to, and it's unfulfilling. Because if it's only always about you, even if you get the things that you're after, you get them and you realize that did nothing for me because God wired you for, the, for one another. <laughs> he wired you for the people that you get to serve, your family members, your friends, your community. He literally wired you in service to one another. And wisdom is knowing, hey, my vocation isn't about me, my ability to build wealth, me to live in the house that I want to live in, my kids go to school that I want them to go to. My wisdom is my vocation, my calling, all of my life is about advancing the kingdom of God and about service to one another, about laying my life down, my agenda, in order to advance Jesus and the church that he's building. James 3, 16, he goes on. James says, where you have envy and selfish ambition, you're going to find disorder in every evil practice. Where there's envy and selfish ambition... This is where it starts to fall apart, James says. And so we're all going through the same things. We're all navigating this side of eternity. We're all going to literally, you're going to experience some of the same things. And you're, you're going to relationships. We're all going to have to navigate relationships. We're all, many of us marriage. We're going to have to navigate children. We're going to have to navigate career path. We're going to have to navigate suffering and loss and all the things you have to navigate this side of eternity. And it's the wise who are set apart in the way that they operate in those things. So I can have the mind of Christ and just be set apart in those things. It just hits different. James 1, 5, here's how we get that. He tells us this all the way back in chapter 1. So James tells us, if any of you lacks wisdom, which is a lot of us, if we're being honest, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should just ask God. Ask him who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it'll be given to you. <laughs> I love it. If you don't write down anything else I say today, write down that verse. So encouraging. If you lack wisdom, and you probably do in some areas, ask God, and he will give it to you without finding fault. Ooh, and, and, and he'll, be, he'll be begin to grow you into his likeness, his same mind. Ask him, and I love it. Uh, I, I love that in the scriptures, Jesus reiterates this, this whole idea of, hey, when it comes to prayer life, when it comes to faith, when it comes to following God, have a, have a level of humility that just asks. Be dependent on him. Knock, seek, door will be open. He'll create opportunity. He goes on in verse 17 and 18. James says this, the wisdom that comes from heaven, here's what it looks like. He defines wisdom. It's pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So let's break down how he defines, how he defines for us wisdom. The wise have, first of all, they have a pure heart. So this is verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven, again, this is godly wisdom, is pure. And so depending on your background and your tradition and, and your experience in church, when you hear the word pure, uh, you get a different idea as to what pure is. Um, and, and it's not being religious or it's not like, checking all the boxes or it's not, it's not, pure is not even perfection. You and I, there's been one who's perfect. 
and we serve him, and thank God he was perfect because he stood in our place and he offers us grace, the things that we don't deserve. He also offers us mercy, uh, not giving us the things that we deserve, but he, he's perfect in our place, and because we have our faith in Jesus, he's done things that you and I can't do. So we're not perfect, but pure is a desire for godliness. Pure is like, man, the overall trajectory of my life ought to look like pursuing more of what God wants for me. It's being unsatisfied with the status quo. My life has always looked like this. I want more of what God wants for me. I begin to grow in his likeness in the person of Jesus. That's what it looks like to grow in purity. Again, the whole idea is I want more of what he wants. Titus 1.15, the apostle Paul, he get, he, here's what Paul says about it. I love his words. He says, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. In fact, both their minds and consciences are corrupted. And, uh, and we know this because if you think back to when you were a little kid, if you think like the, the healthy level of naivety that you had when you were a child, think about how pure your motivations were and heart, your heart was as a kid. You say things, do things that were, if you said those same things and did those same things today, your mind would go to a certain place. But when you're four, you're like, whatever. Like, and you go to the playground, you're meeting kids. They're your best friend. You don't even know their name. They're just like, every, you know, there's like healthy level of naivety. Everything's awesome. Mom and dad love me. Life is great. Woo. And this is the reason why Jesus tells us, hey, in order to enter the kingdom of God, you got to have childlike faith. Because there's a purity attached to that. And, and God even tells us, here's what he promises us. He can get you back to a place where your heart and your motivations for people are pure. Where you begin to see people the way that he sees people. Even the people that bother you, even the people that rub you, even the people that are your enemies. Again, the idea is, God, give me over to more of what you see. When God touches your life, he changes your heart and begins to give you the desire to do what is right. That's, that's what he's talking about in Titus 1. It's actually a salvation passage of scripture where it's talking about God changing our perspective and our heart and our motivation. And it's so important that Jesus in Matthew 5, when he's given like the best sermon of all time, here's what he says about how important it is to be pure in heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. I want to see God. I want to have wisdom. we got to focus on this area of purity. So what is pure? When something's pure, it's just you've removed like foreign contamination. That's what it means. Stuff that wasn't supposed to be there, you're taking it out. Uh, it's anybody that's ever done like purification system, like water filtration system on your refrigerator, on your sink. Uh, how many of y'all got city water? You got city water? Raise a hand, city water. Got all that chlorine in there. How many of y'all got well water? Sometimes it smells like sulfur a little bit, a little nasty, you know what I mean? But you put that purification system on it, you drink that Fiji water, it hits a little bit different, right? It's just like, what? So you, like, this is what we drink. We drink pure water. They remove foreign contaminants, and it just hits different, and that's the whole idea. James goes on in verse 4 of chapter 4, and here's what he says about our hearts as it's a, and, and purity. He says, you adulterous people. He's talking to the church. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Woo, shooting shots. So it's like James says, you can't be in relationship with God while you also have a side relationship with the world, which is what many of us do as we follow Christ and we get frustrated that our lives don't look the way that God promises the way that they look in his word. But it's because you have a relationship with God, but also 
I kind of really like this thing that I know is not of God and he doesn't really want me to do. And yet I like really enjoy it, like in my flesh. So like, so he said, he's like, Hey, you're an adulterous people. You can't have side relationships. That's not what it looks like. And because you're struggling in a certain area or you have a sin in your life or you've gotten distracted, it doesn't mean that you're an enemy with God. So I'm going to encourage you in that, but it does mean that you're headed in that direction. So he's like, Hey, you got to like choose. You got to choose who you want to be in relationship with. And so the questions that we should be asking ourselves around this first part where he says, hey, the wise have a pure heart, is am I unwise in allowing all that I allow into my life? What, what am I allowing in that's not godly? Should I be watching this? Should, should I be listening to this? Should I be playing this game? Should I be letting this environment impact my soul in a negative way? Like every time I'm in this space, I come away and I feel a little gross, right? So like what, what, what am I allowing in and is it having an impact on my life? And a little bit goes a long way because the thought is, bro, it's not a big deal. Everybody's doing it. Exactly, right? So it's like that. Or, or we get to a place where we just get numb to it, and which is also scary, because like now you don't even feel it anymore. But a little bit goes a long way. It's like the kid who comes home, uh, he comes home from school and he's super jacked. We've all been here before. If you've grown up at all, you've had parents, like if you're human, you've had this moment where you're trying to get by on your parents, certain things. But like it's the kid who comes home from school, mom, here's the thing. Uh, all my guys that want to come over, want to watch this movie. Cool. Watch this movie. Uh, it has a little bit. Just a little bit. Like, it's good. Majority of the movie's good. Just this one part is kind of skanky. Just this one part is gross. Just this one part is little, it's, it's off. It's not good. Everything else, though. It's like literally 92% of the movie is good. Just this one little part is not good. And, and I know your standard, and I know, like, I know it's, like, unhealthy to, like, have gar- garbage in, garbage out, that kind of thing. But, like, also, everybody, Mom, everybody's watching this movie. Like, everybody that I know and... Mom says, okay, have them come over, watch the movie. Kid's like, oh, my gosh, it's crazy. So he invites all of his friends. Hey, look, party at my house. We're going to hang out. Mom says, matter of fact, I'll make your favorite brownies. Shut up. This is the best day ever. Like, invite his friends, coming over. She's making the brownies. Mom goes outside, got a little Scottish terrier. She picked she pick a little Scottish terrier poop up, little Willie's poop up. Pick it up, bring it inside just a little bit. Puts that in the brownie batter. Not a lot, just a little. Puts that in the brownie batter, scoops that up, bakes them. Nobody knows the difference. Gets ready, slices them things up, puts them on a plate, brings them out to the kids like, hey, here you go. Enjoy the movie. Kids are like, this is the best day ever. This is awesome. Your mom is so cool. By the way, uh, there's a little bit, just a little bit of Willie's poop in there. You're not going to taste it. It's not a big deal. Just a little bit. Enjoy your movie, right? How many of you know a little poop goes a long way? Same thing, like, in your, in your spiritual life, when it comes to, James says, hey, you can't have one foot here and one foot here. And it doesn't mean, and it does not mean, hear me, that bad things won't happen, temptations won't happen, sin won't happen. It doesn't mean that. It just means that the overall trajectory of your life should be to desire what God wants for you. Again, because otherwise, man, your friendship with the world means enmity against God. 
and it's just not wisdom. The wise have a pure heart. I want to say one other thing on having a pure heart, because sometimes in church world, we get a little judgy. And by a little, I mean, we get real judgy. So uh, biblically, what this should look like is you focusing on your own pure heart, not the person next to you. Uh, so, so I want to say this because you'll actually transform other, you actually, it'll hit different. You'll preach better. Your life will make a greater impact if you're not overwhelmingly focused about other people's walk. And I'm not saying you don't have a span of care. You should care about, listen, if you're married, you're one, you should help and serve your spouse in that way. If you have kids, it's your job to shepherd, steward, lead them in that way. And, and if people invite you into a relationship, but they want you to speak into their life, speak into their life. But overwhelmingly, some of us are too focused on other people's walk when we should be focused on, I got enough stuff. I don't know about you. Jesus says, hey, if you'll take the log out of your eye, you will be better equipped to take the little speck out of your neighbor's eye, right? But why don't we just focus on your own pure heart first, and then, and then you'll preach a better message with your life. And so James says this in James 4, 8. He says, come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Here's how, here's how life transformation happens. Not by behavior modification, not by a punch list. Come near to God. James says, hey, you want wisdom? Draw near to God. He'll do the heavy lifting. The Holy Spirit will do things in your spouse's life, in your kid's life, in your coworker's life that you can't do. And, and the biggest thing you can do sometimes is just pray for them, serve them with you, do whatever you can do. But at some point, you just kind of got to let go. And just like let the Holy Spirit do the heavy lifting. Uh, one of the things we experienced in sabbatical, which is really cool, uh, we had a chance to just worship as a family and go visit some different churches. But there was this one moment where we were at a church service, and like it was awesome. And uh, the, right next to us, uh, all of our kids lined up just fully engaged in worship. I'm a dad, so I'm like, I film this junk. So I like, I'm I disengaged, and I'm like, I'm, I mean, I'm filming my kids. And just proud moment, and I just see them engage, and I just watch God move on them over the course of this service. And uh, a day or two after, one of our kids goes to Brooke, and they're like, hey, Mom, um, I just feel like the Holy Spirit was telling me that, like, I just deleted some of the music that I've been listening to. And it wasn't like explicit music. It's just music that she felt like did not align. Like, it was just the messaging and everything else. She was just like, I don't know that that's good for me. And it wasn't anything that we said. She was just like, the Holy Spirit told me to delete this. And we're like, yo. So, I mean, so that, that's how it works is like God will do heavy lifting in people's lives. And, and, and again, the whole idea is wisdom looks like having this pure heart, but the wise also love peace. According to James verse 17, the wisdom that comes from heaven is peace loving. Everybody say peace loving. Peace loving. You gotta love peace if you're if you're if you're wise, and and so the whole the whole idea is uh, not the avoidance of conflict. That's not peace, but you're not looking for a fight. You're not cry, trying to cause dissension. You're not like we live in a space and a time culturally where it is it is entertainment for us to watch other people argue. They've made that a form of entertainment. They know you love that. That junk is on social media, whatever, whatever TV you watch, especially in the area of politics. Can you imagine what world it would look like? This is new heaven, new earth, new creation. When we get, to, when we get there one day, this is what politics is going to look like, where people who are elected representatives actually care about what's true and, and, and what's best for their constituency, rather than posturing against the other side of the aisle or whoever's idea. You know, so what, what we have is we have, hey, I've got this idea, 
And it's true of politics, it's true of broader culture. This idea of dissension, this idea of having a contentious behavior. I know what's right. No, I know what's right. When's the last time somebody was like, hold up, that's a good idea. I concede my point. Good job. Like, no one, when's the last time somebody said that in a political debate or in that, in that type of space? But the, the whole idea is to love peace. Love peace. And so here's what James says in James 1, 19 through 20. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. There's so much application right there. And you'll read through that real quick and miss it. Quick to listen. Y'all ever been in a conversation with somebody? And uh, you meet them for the first time, they're talking, you get about halfway through the conversation, you go, dang, what was her name? Like, you weren't listening at all. Like, so quick to listen, slow to speak, don't one-up them, don't interrupt them, be considerate in that way, and then slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Anybody who has ever experienced human anger knows that it does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Can I get an amen? from anybody. Can I get a witness? Yes. So when I'm, when I experience human anger, I do not always say the right things, do the right things. I don't have the right tone. I don't have the right. And so he's saying, Hey, avoid that. That's not wisdom. Proverbs 14, 29 says this people with understanding control their anger. You self-control is the fruit of the spirit. A hot temper shows great foolishness. Proverbs 23, it's a mark of good character to avert quarrels, but fools love to pick fights. And so basically what he's saying when he's talking about loving peace is like, don't be someone who's all the time looking for an opportunity to be upset or offended or complain. Like someone who's picking a fight, someone who's on edge. You may know somebody like that. They're in your family. You went to school with them. You'd be sitting next to them right now. Don't look at them where they're just like, like you go out in public and it's like somebody looks at them too long. You, you know, like, it's, or like somebody cuts them off in traffic, got road rage, trying to run somebody off the road. Like, bro, what are we, grandma, what are we doing? You know, like, or like, uh, it's so just, but people who just like picking fights. And so it's like, well, what is wisdom is to love peace. The wise don't go looking for a fight. And, and, and conflict can't continue without your participation and my participation. So if there's somebody, if you're someone who you're like, man, everywhere I go, everywhere I go, like people are fighting me. You are the common denominator, <laughs> right? So, like, think about it. Am I wise in this area? And, and this, this next one leads, this just kind of comes off of the, the whole idea of loving peace is the wise are considerate. James 3, 17, but the, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is considerate. And, and to be considerate, it means this. Watch this. You consider it. Super deep. I know I've been gone for four weeks, but that's what, like, it's, it's what it means. It means you're considerate of, you're thinking of others as you are interacting with people. You're, you're, you have some understanding. This is the reason why James asked the question, who is wise and understanding? As if those go together. Hey, you know what wisdom looks like? Instead of looking like seeking to be understood, it looks like seeking to understand. So instead of you, this is the reason why he tells us to shut up as well and listen more than we speak. He's like, hey, listen, seek to understand what your spouse is going through. Seek to understand what your kids are going through. Seek to understand what that person who doesn't hold your convictions, doesn't even really like you. Seek to understand them. Seek to understand what your employer or your employee or your friend or people who've been offended or whatever. Don't, don't lead with your idea and your agenda. Seek to understand so that you can better serve them in that. And he says that's what wisdom looks like. It looks considerate. 
Romans 15, 1 through 3 says this, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up, for even Christ did not please himself. Paul says, hey, you know what it's about? You're understanding their situations so that you can serve them. That's ultimately what it's about, even people who don't share your convictions. And so the wise are considerate, but the wise are also willing to yield. He says this in verse 17, the wisdom that comes from heaven is submissive. And I just lost some of you. Because you're like, I'm good. I ain't doing submissive, bro. I'm a Enneagram, Enneagram 8. You know what I mean? Like I'm a man's man. You know what I mean? Like I hunt. Like I'm, I'm not doing submissive. So, but it's, it doesn't mean submissive the way that you and I think about it. It means that you're willing to yield the point. So if you're in a group setting or in a meeting or someone has a different perspective than you and it's right, you go, you're right. That's what that means. It's just like, yeah. That's really good. I didn't think of that. And it'll bl- some, like some of us struggle so bad with this that when we actually yield the point sometimes, it blows people's mind in our life. When we're like, because we're so combative or we're always right or whatever. But it's like, man, when we finally yield the point, they're like, oh, okay, I don't really know what to do now because it's like it caught me off guard with, with, with how, how willing to, to work with me on that you are. So this is what he's calling us to. Proverbs 12, 15. It says, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Are you willing to listen? And this goes along with being considerate. Because if you're like me, I struggle, I struggle with, I have a high appraisal of my opinion sometimes. And, and if I'm in conversation with someone, I will interrupt them, which is so rude and inconsiderate, something I'm working on. And people who are closest to me deal with it more than anybody. Brooke can amen, amen me on this part. But, uh, but like if you're around me, it's just, and I'm so excited about engaging whatever conversation, but I need to just be quick to listen, slow to speak, and, and, and just like, be present in that way. Have the mind of Christ that I'm serving with consideration and that I'm also serving, being willing to yield. And then he goes on. He says, the wise are full of mercy and good fruit. Everybody say mercy. Mercy, mercy. Wise are full of mercy. James three seventeen. the wisdom that comes from heaven is full of mercy and good fruit. James is saying wisdom is quick to extend mercy. Difference between grace and mercy. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. Mercy is his withholding what we do deserve. And James says, you need to be full of mercy. You need to, you need to give people what they, what, what they deserve. You need to withhold what they deserve. It's like, well, they said this about me. Mercy. They did this to me this one time. Mercy. They blew me up on social media. Mercy. They fired me. Mercy. They, like, just extend mercy. Why does it matter? Here's how important it is. And he goes on. He says this in James 2, verses 12 through 13. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Again, if you don't write anything down I say today or highlight anything, you definitely want to highlight that passage. James 2, 12 through 13. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. You want mercy? You extend it. Mercy triumphs over judgment. In other words, whatever measure you're holding others to, that's the measure you're going to be judged at. 
So I'm like, mercy. You know what I mean? Like, mercy, Lord. Because I'm like, I'm, I'm, I want all of it, and I need all of it when I stand in front of you. You do too. And so the idea is that in Christ we're supposed to extend mercy. It's wisdom. Jesus teaches his followers to pray, and a huge commentary on all of his prayer life is on forgiveness. So when he's given the Lord's Prayer, you know what he spends the most time on? Forgiveness. Hey, forgive us our sins. Forgive us in the areas that we've trespassed against you as we forgive others, and those go together. You want to experience mercy? you got to extend it. And then... Uh, and so, but he goes on and he says, he says this mercy and good fruit, but then the wise are also impartial and sincere. Impartial and sincere. Bible tells us that God is a, a respecter of no persons. And it just, basically, if you're new to the Bible, it just means that he, it doesn't, some of the things that you and I consider when we meet people, how they look. What, what common denominators we share. Oh, you like that team? I like that team. What's up? Secret handshake. Or your economy, the color of your skin, what you're good at, what you're not good at, your age, your sex, all the things that usually tribalize us, politics, all kind of stuff, that make that high school, high school lunchroom, like cafeteria. Like these kids sit over here, these kids sit over here, these kids sit over here. And the whole idea is that the kingdom of God, the economy of God, he doesn't care if you got an MBA at Harvard. That's cool. He's really proud of you. That's awesome. He doesn't care about your 401k. He doesn't care about, like, he doesn't care about any of the things that you and I look at. The Bible tells us that God looks at the heart. He doesn't care about those things. He's not a respecter of persons in that way. He just loves you. And there's nothing you could do to make him love you. You're never going to be loved more than you are right now. There's, there's no amount of good behavior there's no amount of morality. There's no amount of jumping through hoops or checking boxes or any of the things. He just loves you. And your worth, your value is in the cross of Christ. Jesus died on your behalf. Again, Jesus came. God extended mercy, withholding what we deserve, but also gave us grace in Christ, giving us what we didn't deserve in Jesus. Gives us over to resurrection, new life, joy, freedom, peace, attached to his work. Not your work, not my work, his work. And so impartial means I'm impartial in my dealings with people because God's impartial with his dealings with people. So I figure out who I can serve no matter what room I'm in, no matter who it is. And the way that we play, and you know this is the way that we play, what do you have to offer me? What can you do for me? Instead of, what can I do for you? And that's what impartiality is. This is what Jesus does when he comes because Jesus develops this reputation as being a friend of sinners. When you break bread with tax collectors, the fringe of society, prostitutes, people who don't share your cultural background or leaning, none of these people could offer Jesus anything in terms of vocation. He's a rabbi, it's not good for business for him to hang out with these people. Culturally, it's not good. He's a Jew hanging out with Samaritans. Like all the people that Jesus spends time with, it just doesn't make sense, but he shows no partiality to the point that even the Samaritans, excuse me, even the Pharisees are able to take notice in Mark 12, verse 14. Teacher, we know that you are true. Do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. That's from Pharisees. And so God calls us to the same mind of Christ. Hey, serve all, love all, welcome all, encourage all with the same 
gospel with the same message, same hope, same reconciliation, same truth. But James says, also do it, while you do it, be sincere. Be impartial, but be sincere. And I'm gonna land right here. The Greek word is translated hypocrite. And so it means that uh, basically at this time in Greece, you'd have actors who played, you know, let's say there's 12 characters, 12 parts to this play, but there's only like three actors. They just put on a mask. I'm gonna play this part. Now I'm gonna play this part. Now I'm gonna play this part. And you and I do the same thing. I got my Sunday mask. Hey, we're good. God bless you. Yes, highly favored. You know what I mean? Like we got it together on Sunday. I got my I got my work mask. I got my oh, I'm hanging with the guys mask. I got my oh, I'm this person. Uh, you know, when my spouse is around, mask. I got this. Like we're just putting on masks instead of instead of really being sincere, which is attached, this is wisdom. So again, if you don't want to be wise, don't listen. But if you want to be wise, sincerity is the way forward. When God's wisdom is at work, we're not wearing masks, but we begin to take the mask off. And, and authenticity is what wisdom looks like. Vulnerability is what it looks like. And it's hard. It's super hard. And, and more countercultural than ever to take off the mask. But honestly, uh, scary as it is, this is what wisdom looks like. And, and in my own life, the times that I've been most vulnerable, the times, and some of it's been forced, the times that I've been most honest, the times that I've been most authentic are also the times where I've experienced the most spiritual breakthrough. This is who I am. It's what I'm dealing with. It's what I got going on. It's what I'm struggling with. It's where we're at. And, and what's so cool is God promises to take for the ones who are willing to humble themselves and be sincere and authentic, God promises to exalt the humble. Lift your head and go, hey, I'm right here. I knew the whole time. Glad you're ready to work on it. Let's move forward, let's grow. Let's, let's, let's take hold of all the promises that I have for your life. But my question for you today is, would you take, would you take a chance to be real about where you are in your walk with Jesus? Would you be real about where you are when it comes to authenticity and sincerity. And, and all of the things that we've talked about up to this point, man, I just struggle, man, there's, I, the pure heart piece caught me because I know there's some things in my life that need to be addressed and I just, I'm struggling with that. This whole idea of loving peace, I'm angry. I, I desire control, I'm angry all the time, I pick a fight all the time, this is for me. The wiser considerate, I know I interrupt people, I know I'm arrogant, I know I need to consider others rather than myself, I need to yield. I need to experience the mercy that God has for me by extending that mercy to others and the good fruit that he wants for my life. And, and, and some of us, it's sincerity. So questions is, do you, do you need him to make your heart more pure? Are you quick to pick a fight? Are you considerate of others? Do you need to grow in mercy? Do you wanna be like Jesus and be impartial with your love towards others and sincere and authentic with what you're going through? And if you do, you need wisdom. And he tells us, hey, here's the beginning of wisdom, get it get it however you can get it. And the Bible is clear to tell us what the beginning of wisdom looks like. It tells us exactly what it looks like. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And so that whole knowledge of the Holy One is like, is knowing Him. This is the reason why we say, like our mission statement as a church is know God, because it's like, the word is gnosko. It just means I'm in a real relationship with God. I don't know things about him. I don't, I don't just attend, a ch I don't attend a church, which is 
that's a whole nother message on that. But like, but I, but I know him. We're in a relationship. I know him. And this is the beginning of wisdom is that you would begin a relationship with him and allow him to lead you in your life. And uh, I'm so excited for those who have said, you know what? I want all that God has for me. I'm going public with my faith. I'm taking the next step and showing people, hey, here's who my God is. And I'm taking what, what he's been doing on the inside of me. And I'm going public with that. And if you're here and you want to participate in baptisms, we got you covered. While they're leading this song, just step out. Team would love to serve you. We got what you need. But, but for some of us, it's not that. You, just, you heard the Holy Spirit just kind of like tap you on the shoulder today. You felt it. And you're just like, I know God wants you to address a specific area of your life that feels inconsistent with who he's called you to be. Have the courage of conviction to deal with it. James goes on in James 5, and he tells us that, hey, if you want to experience healing in an area of your life that you've been struggling with, confess your sins one to another so that you can experience the healing that God offers. You experience forgiveness from him. You experience healing from sharing that burden with other people. There's a reason why we do church together. There's a reason why you need a community of believers. There's a reason why life and faith have to be done in the context of one another. This is what God calls us to. But I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And as we're praying, I would love for you to think what we talked through today and just ask that question. Holy Spirit, what's my next step? What do you want me to do? Do me a favor. If we could just stand together and close in prayer, that'd be great. Let's just stand to our feet. Team's gonna come out and lead us in a song. We're gonna celebrate baptisms. But I would love to just lead us in a prayer before we do that. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much, God, for your word. And thank you for the opportunity to gather. Thank you for the opportunity to pray together as a community of believers. Thank you for the life change that has taken place this year so far. God, help us not to just um, be so used to you doing a miraculous work in people's lives that it becomes just autopilot and a thing that we're just like, oh, someone else came to faith in Christ. Oh, someone else is being passed. It is a miracle that you are meeting us, that you're speaking directly to us, God, that you love us so much, that you, that you craft an experience. You surround us with people and family and church family, all kinds of people who've impacted our lives to bring us to a point of salvation or a point of just sanctification, a point of just putting off some old things and just stepping into what you want for us next. And so I'm praying today for every single person who's here who knows, God, that you're, you, you're talking to them right now in this moment. And give us, give us the courage to be able to do something with that. Uh, if you're here and you, and you know something we talked about today hits, just tell somebody. Again, back to sincerity and authenticity. Just begin to invite the right people into your life, people who love Jesus, love you, into that conversation who want more for you, sometimes than you want for yourself. And then watch the transformation that takes place as a result. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith or your trust in Jesus, so you don't know him, you know things about him. You've been doing religious things. But, man, you want a moment where you really surrender. You go all in. Not, not one part of you is a Christian, but the whole of you is pursuing the things of God. If that's you today, with all of our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and you want to be in a relationship with Christ, surrender your life to him. Would you just raise your hand in the room and say, that's for me? I know I've been playing games. Amen. Is there anybody else? Just say, that's for me. Amen. Just keep your hand up. Amen. that's you, you need to hear this. Jesus loves you so much. And your experience of love this side of eternity, man, your experience of love this side of relationship with Jesus, it it doesn't really hold up. Nobody loves you like he loves you. 
Nobody's going to serve you the way that he's already served you. He's going to serve you moving forward. He desires to take the broken pieces of, of uh, distraction and wrong choices and wrong living, all the things that kind of get in the way. And all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every single one of us in this room, if, if that's you and you're making a decision to place your, your faith, your life in the hands of Jesus is the best decision you could have ever made. And it's that moment where you see him for who he is in relationship to who you are. And right there, as you're in that moment, and it's a beautiful moment, just look at Jesus and say, Jesus, I give you my life. I give you my life. I'm sorry I made it about me. I'm sorry I've been selfish. I'm, I want to make it about you and about serving others. Would you give me over to a transformed life? Holy Spirit, would you change me from the inside out? Would you give me over to a wisdom that's heavenly, that's otherworldly? And would you give me over to looking more like Jesus? Would you lead me in what that looks like, not only today, but moving forward the rest of my life? Jesus, I see you as Savior, your life, your death, and your resurrection. I see you crucified. And I'm so grateful that your finished work means that I get to experience eternity with you. Not because I deserve it, but because you love me. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. I promise to celebrate your goodness with my life. And so I lay it down as a living sacrifice, death to an old self and being raised to new life in Christ today. Holy Spirit, would you lead me moving forward? Would you speak to me by your word, but also just in my prayer life and with surrounding, surrounding myself with the right people. God, root me in biblical community. Help me to, to grow and transform into the person in the image of Jesus. Help me to not settle for less than what you paid for. I want the abundant life. I want all of it. And just thank Jesus right where you are. Just say, Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for offering me salvation. If you're here today and you prayed to receive Christ and you want to take a next step in baptism, I want to encourage you as the band leads to step out and just say, that's for me. I know God's speaking to me. I know I need to take a next step. For the rest of us, Jesus, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the privilege of gathering. Thank you for the privilege of worship. Thank you for the privilege of reminding us of who you are. Lord, we love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship together.